Welcome back to Redeemable. I am your host, Josh Hornberger. I got my Redeemable pumpkin here next to me, and I got my Bible, so I'm good to go. So let's hop into it. So we're coming up on Halloween, and I'm not really looking forward to it. At my girlfriend's church, they're doing a trunk-or-treat event to give out candy to all the kids. So two weeks ago, my girlfriend actually, without telling me, ordered me a Peter Pan outfit. And she texted me after she spent like $20 on it. And she told me that's what I was going to (laughs) wear. So of course, after watching the new Chip and Dale movie, I wasn't really rocking with it. But it's apparently too late to change the game plan because she already ordered her Tinkerbell costume. And uh, I don't really believe in dressing up, especially at 20 years old for Halloween. But I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll do it for her. But yeah, that's what uh, that's what my Halloween's going to look like, which is completely fine. I didn't really ever do Halloween as a kid. Every year, my family and I would always all get on the couch and watch It's the Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown, which was made in 1966. And the animation is painfully clear that it is 56 years old. And mom would make us watch it pretty much every year. But my parents did do a good job of sheltering me from a lot of the evil and fear that comes along with life growing up. So let me ask you what you think. In and of itself, is it really wrong for a kid dressed as Buzz Lightyear to walk down the street with his parents to get some candy and then maybe a mint from the stingy neighbor? I I don't think so. Although, you have to take into account the other people that are out that night. Now that I'm a bit older, I can kind of understand why a lot of parents shelter their kids from this holiday. Mostly uh, because of the teenagers that walk around dressed as like demons, ghosts, killer clowns. It's like a celebration of evil and horror for them. And many parents, they want to preserve the innocence of their children. My, like my papa, he always told me that the eyes are the window to the soul. And I think this is very true. What you put in front of your eyes or what is put in front of them does in fact affect you, especially for a kid. But personally, if I see someone wearing what Lizzo had on the other night at her concert, I'm going to be scared. But that's what we're going to focus on today. Fear, not Lizzo. <laughs> So today we're going to look at 1 Kings chapter 17. So in this story, we find the prophet Elijah being instructed by God to get to a city called Zarephath, and that God had actually commanded a widow woman to give Elijah a place to stay within the city. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 10 reads, So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I'm gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me. And after, make for thee and for thy son. For the sake of time, let's skip to verse 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat for many days. So in this passage of scripture, 
we find a mother who is very much a realist. She literally was like, I'm going to have my last meal, and then me and my son are going to die. Now, <clears throat> if you see a teenager dressed up as a killer clown this Halloween, that may be terrifying. But that's not something that should be a reasonable fear. Not having enough food to put on the table for your family is a reasonable fear, which keeps a lot of people up at night. Not knowing where your next meal is going to come from is a fear and just desperation that a lot of people are sadly quite familiar with. But in this story, Elijah, who possessed the power of God, asked the widow to first fear not and to then make him cake. Honestly, understandable demands. And then he requested that she make food for herself and her son. And so the woman did what was asked of her, which showed her faith in what this man of God said. And in verse 15, we find that as a result of her faith, she, he, and her house did eat for many days. That is a miracle. Now we're going to read the second part of the story. It's just a couple verses, all right? Picking up in verse 17. It reads, And it came to pass after these things, that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was so sore that there was no breath left in him. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance, and to slay my son? And he said unto her, Give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom, and carried him up into a loft, where he abode, and laid him upon his own bed. And he cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourn, by slaying her son? And he stretched himself upon the child three times, and cried unto the Lord, and said, O Lord my God, I pray thee, let this child's soul come into him again. And the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child, and brought him down out of the chamber into the house, and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know, that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Now, here we have another legitimate fear, the health of our loved ones. In this case, the mother lost her son, and she asked Elijah, What do I have with thee, man of God? So she's absolutely distraught, rightfully so, and she's wondering why this is all happening to her. But she still acknowledges the power of God is within the prophet. So Elijah takes the dead boy from her, cries up to the Lord, asking for the child's soul to come back into his body, and it was done. Okay, broadly speaking, it's easy to read right over these passages without giving them a lot of thought. But we're talking about a man that enters a woman's life who is desperate for help. And when the presence of God enters her life through the prophet Elijah, she doesn't run out of food, and her son literally resurrects back to life. Elijah, this man of God, performed these miracles, but it wasn't his doing. It was the Holy Spirit within him. And at verse 24, the woman fully acknowledges this and says, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. Let me give you a bit more truth. There are so many things in this life that we're afraid of. Spiders, the dentist, the dark. When I was a kid... I watched an Animal Planet show where there was this guy hunting wild hogs, 
And I remember this guy and his cameraman was searching through the woods at night, making these grunting noises. This continued until a much more authentic sounding grunt was heard in the dark. The hunter turns around to find two bright eyes at his knee level, just a few feet away. And then the wild boar charged him. And then the show cut to commercial. I was absolutely traumatized. I could not sleep that night. And don't even get me started on what happened to me after watching Finding Bigfoot. Looking back on it now, I really don't know why I was scared of hairy pigs. But at the time, it just terrified me. I think that as we grow up, our fears change. We go from being afraid of the dentist and the dark to being afraid of getting fired or evicted. Plato, the Greek philosopher, commonly confused with a squishy kid's toy, once said, we can easily forgive a child who's afraid of the dark. The real tragedy of life is when men are afraid of the light. What Plato is talking about here is that a lot of our fears are absolutely unjustified. I live in Maryland. There are zero wild boars even remotely close to me. People spend so much of their lives worrying and being afraid. The truth is their fear keeps them from achieving their potential and even their purpose. I actually did a bit of research, and according to CourseHeal.com, the average person spends over five years of their life worrying. Five years! In this culture, we are living afraid. And what I mean is that we are afraid to speak up when we see so much disorder and craziness in our culture. We're afraid to share the gospel with our own family members because we're afraid that they may look at us differently. We're afraid to do what needs to be done. Look at Jonah. God told him to go to Nineveh and call for the people of that sinful city to repent. But he didn't listen because he was scared and didn't want to go there. And so the man got swallowed by a whale. Now, you're not going to get swallowed by a whale if you have arachnophobia. But the thing that really doesn't make sense to me is that there is one thing that we should all fear. And the truth is, it's not a thought that keeps a lot of people up at night. And that's eternity. You know, we spend more time picking out what clothes we're going to wear tomorrow than we do thinking about where we're going to spend our time when we die. Eternity is forever. Like, the clock never stops. And the Bible outlines that hell is a very real place. As a lot of you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. But not everyone has the same story on how they got to Jesus. I have talked to so many people and have heard so many testimonies. And I heard one while I was street preaching at the Ocean City Boardwalk that stuck with me. This guy told me that he only became a Christian after he learned about hell. And once he had heard Revelation 21 verse 8, he accepted Jesus as his Savior and turned his life around. I truthfully did not know off the top of my head what Revelation 21 verse 8 said. And so I looked it up afterwards and it says this, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. In other words, we're all doomed to hell. I don't even have to ask you if you've ever killed someone or if you're a wizard. If you've lied before, you're associated with this motley crew. 
But the ones who have accepted Jesus into their heart will be saved. Romans 10.9 puts it as simple as it can get. It says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. If you look at your figurative train ticket right now, and it's not marked with the blood of Jesus, you need to turn from your sin and trust in him alone. You must believe that Jesus died for you and rose again three days later. Hell doesn't have to scare you if you're born again. It doesn't scare me because I know that I'm not going there. Personally, if I'm being 100% honest with you right now, I am not afraid of death. Of course, I'm going to avoid it, but I'm not afraid to die. I have genuine peace in knowing that where I'm going is perfect paradise in the presence of my Savior. Now, let me put something else on your radar, all right? It's a verse from the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 10, verse 28 says, And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather, fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Matthew is, of course, referring to Satan here. As we talked about in episode 8, as long as Satan can distract you, then you never have to worry about what comes after death. The Bible outlines here that our fears are not what they should be. We should be more afraid of the spiritual powers around us more so than anything a person can do to us on this earth. Stick with me here. We live in a physical world where there are just some basic truths that we abide by. Whether we like it or not, Joe Biden is our president, we have to pay taxes, and there are people among us who like pineapple on pizza. There is another realm in play here that we can't see, the spiritual realm. Ephesians 6 verse 12 says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Effective Christians often find themselves in what's called spiritual warfare. This is when the demons of the spiritual realm are attacking and hindering you in the physical world. It's not like how horror movies depict it, where doors open themselves and creepy girls crawl out of the TV. No, it's it's more like a war raging between dark forces and the Holy Spirit within you. Spiritual warfare is a pretty big topic that we'll have to spend more time on in another episode. The point is, there are influences going on that we can't always see, but is very real. We need to be mindful that we wrestle not with each other, but against spiritual wickedness. That concept in itself is terrifying, but it's not once you realize who is on your side, and that's Jesus Christ. Now, looking back at our Bible story from earlier, there are two major themes to take away from it. God provides and God saves. No matter how dire your situation is, no matter how afraid you are, you could be quite literally cooking your very last meal that you can afford for you and your family. And then after that, when you have nothing, have faith. This isn't a message to be afraid and stay afraid. This is a message that fear is a real thing, but faith is stronger. Bring yourself to a place of understanding. We can't bring people back from the dead. We can't create an endless amount of food out of thin air. We are human, 
we are limited. In your scariest, most dire moment in your life, I hope that you turn to God in your impossible situation. Here's a verse to take with you in life. Mark 10, verse 27. And Jesus, looking upon them, saith, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. In this life, you will be scared. It's inevitable if you've ever been to Walmart past 9 o'clock. But don't let fear keep you from having faith. My friend, we can't always see the whole picture. We can see our problems. We can see our fears right in front of us. I don't have enough money. My family is sick. I don't know where my next meal is going to come from. I don't know what to do. What we can't see is God sending an Elijah on your way to your house. Just because you can't see it, you can still believe it. That's faith. What we can't see is that God has his hand on the situation. If you are truly born again, and once you understand that, once you understand that God is in control of the situation, it's like a safety net. My friend, make sure your faith is stronger than your fears and see what God can do. The Bible verse for this week is Psalms 34 verse 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. And remember, you are loved. You are custom made and you are redeemable. Thank you.